chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you want to start turning there. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But before we jump in, um, i got to kind of put something on your radar screen and on your calendar. Next week, we're going to start a three-week series. Jordan's going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the service. But the last week in January, January 31st, um, we have, uh, we're going to have a guy named Stu Tolley come. And I am plum excited about it. Man, I cannot wait. Um, he, we, we, if you're a visitor here, we regularly beat this drum about God working in the midst of difficulty. When suffering shows up, how is God at work? And, and do, can we turn our back on him? Is he, is he just, you know, not answering our prayers the way that we want? So, so he must not exist. I mean, those sorts of things. We just regularly beat that drum. When bad things happen, is God at work? Well. Um, at some point, as I beat this drum regularly, a couple times a year, um, if I am you, I'm going to go, okay, Scott, things are going well for you, all right? You still have both of your parents, your, your kids, your kids are not sick, um, they have been, but today they're, they're well. I mean, at some point, you're going to go, okay, you talk about this because I don't see this working in your life, and I mean, it has, and I'm not, I'm praying that it doesn't happen in 2016. But it may. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Um, but Stu Tolley, this guy named Stu Tolley, who's going to be with us at the end of January, has. I mean, his story is tragic, but it's compelling because he sees God at work in the midst of that tragedy. In fact, about three years ago, um, our, our stories, Wellspring and his, collided. And you may not even remember it. Um, when the, the EF5 tornado hit Moore, Oklahoma, it hit about four, two or three miles, four miles from his house. And um, through, some, through a story that he'll share while he's here, his life intersected with all of the families who lost their kids at that school in the tornado. And he became their primary spiritual advisor. I guess that's how the world would, would explain it. But he was there with the gospel for those families. And if you, you may remember, I said, hey, we got a friend. I've got a friend, a personal friend who is working with these families. They've lost almost everything, and they need some help. And you gave about $3,000 to help those families through Stu Tolley and his ministry. Well, he's going to be here at the end of June. and he, I mean, at the end of January, January 31st. Um, and uh, I cannot wait. Wait, his story is awesome. And how God's continuing to work, even in the midst of tragedy. If you know somebody who's going through a difficult time, you drag them here, you bribe them, you do whatever it takes to get them here. On January 31st, they'll be blessed by it. All right? Put that on your calendars. I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait. Uh, all right, now I've got a segue. Ecclesiastes 4. How was that? That was terrible. Okay. Man, happy new year to you. I, I hope that you've had a, a blessed week uh, with family. Um, this past week, I uh, had to come back early um, from, from Virginia to, uh, to serve, and, and we were glad to do it as a family. It was a, a privilege to serve, come back early and serve family and, and a funeral and that sort of thing. And uh, I spent about 48 hours just by myself. You know, I often think, man, it would sure be nice to spend some time by myself. And then I, it happens, and you're like, what are you doing with yourself? <laughs> well, that happened this week. I, I, the family had not made it back yet, and I was uh, by myself for about 48 hours. And I began to think about 2015, and you, and the, the, the year that you, that you as a church, we as a church had, and I thought about some people in our church had an awesome year, 
I mean, weddings, I was there, I got to walk with you, be a part of that, so awesome, so fun. Graduations, for some both, you know, I have new babies born, unexpected um, pregnancies, God just blessed in a supernatural way, and it was an awesome year for some people, and it was a privilege to walk alongside of you in those joyous occasions. And then I got to thinking for, for some, 2015 could not end fast enough. I mean, it was a difficult, difficult year. Tragedy, loss, heartbreak, relationships broken, unexpected divorce. I mean, it was a tough, tough year. And it was a privilege to walk in that difficulty as well. It really was. And those, those in, the, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of brokenness, to walk alongside of you. And this past week, I had a chance to think about that as well. And I started thinking about 2016 and what the year's going to hold for us in this coming calendar year as well. And here's the thing, it's going to be both. For some of us in here, this coming year is going to be an awesome year. There's going to be relationships that are, that are reconciled. There's going to be new uh, weddings. There's going to be new graduations. There's going to be new jobs. For some of us, 2016 is going to be awesome. For some of us, there's going to be unexpected heartbreak, brokenness, because we live in a broken world. And I got to thinking about that this past week while I was sitting by myself. And I came across Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And to show you how not much has changed under the sun, Solomon, who wrote this several thousand years ago, was facing basically the same thing. He, was, he had ups and mountains of life, and he had valleys, and he faced tragedy. I mean, he, he had exciting times and he had difficult times. He saw great things happening in the world and he saw brokenness. And in the midst of all of that, he wrote down some very wise words that I hope as we break into this new year, we will be challenged by. Now, I got to warn you, he does it from a negative perspective. I mean, it's, this, is, this is grim for a while. But if you'll just work your way through it, he offers us hope at the end of it. So if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 4, 1, it says this. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. A few months back, I was listening to, uh, actually watching that, this, this like a conference kind of thing. This church that's in a, a metropolitan area, uh, one of the big cities of, of, of our nation, um, decided that in the spring of 2015, they were going to kind of have a, an ongoing conference. They were going to have seven nights throughout the spring where they answered this question, does Christianity make sense? Does God make sense? And they were going to take different angles of that particular question, like, uh, in the midst of suffering, does Christianity make sense? 
Does, is, God exists. Christianity makes sense. Those, the, Jesus, why would Jesus come? Does Christianity make sense? Those sorts of things. For people that, that are questioning their faith, that are questioning Christianity, can it possibly make sense? <laughs> um, they wanted to answer that question for their particular metropolitan area. Well, they had seven particular nights, and each night would go like this. The pastor would get up, he would kind of give a speech on that particular topic, the, the different angle that they were going to take. Then they had a Q&A, and they would send in text messages to a computer. They would read those questions, and then he would answer them. And then, after that was over, they would go to the fellowship hall, and they would continue the conversation in a less formal environment. Well, I don't remember which session it was, but one particular night, they had... He had given his, his, his talk, they had had all the questions until the last one, he had answered them, and the, the MC of the night said, um, we got time for one more question, let me read it to you. And her question was this, was this, it was more of a statement, but she read it, she said, about three years ago, I was assaulted. By a government official whose job it is, who gets paid to protect and to serve me and my community. In his position, he took advantage and assaulted me. And everything that you have to say about God, I get it. But I just got to tell you, if he would allow that to happen, I can't believe the God of the Bible would exist. I heard that, and I thought, what's he going to say? I mean, what's his answer going to be? What's his answer going to be? And the pastor gets up and says, here's the thing. I'm sorry. That is tragic. So, but I don't think that this environment is appropriate to address the question. If you would feel comfortable, whenever we move to the, the, um, to the fellowship hall, if you are comfortable, just come find me. I'd love to share with you what I think God would say. In that situation. And I was like, oh, I mean, what do you say to that? And then I and then I thought, okay, what happened the, on Monday, like the next day, the next staff meeting? It's like the pastor's up there, hey, Stark Weather, what, what a dumb idea. This whole engaging the community thing. You're fired. I mean, come on, stick me up on stage and read that, read that question. What a dumb idea. And it got to thinking. About the last three years as pastor here. And the tragedy that I walked through, and I thought, and, and the exciting times as well, and I thought, you know what, Solomon, you're on to something. I mean, he looks, Solomon looks at the world and he sees brokenness and he sees injustice and he sees oppression. And it makes him mad. It makes him legitimately angry. And I thought, you know what? I agree. There are times I agree. I look at this world and I see injustice and oppression, brokenness, and I'm like, what is going on here? I mean, I know, I know people that love you, that, that, that they, their desire to know you is greater than mine, if I'm being honest many times. And they have bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happen to them. God, what is going on? It doesn't seem fair. This world is broken. And I thought about my three years as pastor. And 
I realized, you know what, before I became a pastor, I was a whole lot better at it. <laughs> you don't know my story. I was a youth pastor prior to this, and uh, I loved hanging out with teenagers and going to camps and all, and when they asked, asked a tough question or there was a difficult situation, I'd say, go talk to the pastor. <laughs> and I loved being able to do that. <laughs> So I was a whole lot better at this job before I ever got it. <laughs> but then I walked with brokenness. Walked in brokenness. And there are days that I do the same thing and I ask the same thing as Solomon. I got to thinking about the nothing in particular but some of the situations. Phone call I got one particular evening. You know, my husband, my husband, he walked out tonight, Scott, and I'm left here with my kids, and I need some help. I remember the phone call that I got when I was sitting at Pizza Hut, and somebody had walked out of a very bad doctor's. I remember the phone call that I got from a friend who said, Scott, I was caught in some sin, and I have, it, it, it has haunted me. I want it, I want to extricate it from my life so bad, but it just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, and I need some help. And this week when I came across this text, I thought, I've been there. I've been fooled many times. I'm with you, Solomon. And he keeps going in the next verse, or at the end of the, the first verse, and he says this. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. But there was no one to comfort them. So he takes it a step further and he says, I see brokenness in this world. I see, I see injustice in this world. And I see people who are in power, who, have a, who are in a position to actually do something about it. And instead of helping the people that are under them, like this particular government official that, we, that I just talked about, instead of helping people in difficulty, they leverage it for their own gain, for their own benefit. And other people are hurt as a result of it. And injustice reigns, it seems. And I got to thinking about, I, I regularly joke about, about pastor's books around here. I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I was a pastor's kid. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I, you know, I, I'm, I really am messed up. I, I don't know. But I like to joke at church culture a little bit. And one of the things that I regularly joke about are these books about, you know, three, three steps to forgiveness or four steps to you know, uh, uh, The Full Life, my favorite, my favorite book is Have a Different or New Kid by Friday. And I'm like, you've never met my three-year-old. I mean, she, I, I will say, Molly Kate, if you do that, I will spank you. Daddy will spank you. And before it's even out of my mouth, she will do it again, and I will spank her. And she will look at me like, yes, it was worth it. <laughs> And these books that seem to offer hope, and all they do is weigh you down. I mean, after all, when you do the four steps and you still can't forgive, when you, when you do all the things the book says and your kid is not different Friday, people have been given a position of, of influence, of authority, of power, and just use it, sometimes unknowingly, to oppress. And injustice reigns. And I'm with Solomon going, what's going on here? 
And he doesn't give us any answer. He just goes on to the next thing, like Happy New Year. <laughs> Here's what he says in the, in the next verse. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. I mean, this guy's in a bad spot. He says, it's better. I, I see injustice reigning in this world. I see brokenness in this world. And I just got to tell you, I think it's better for people who have already passed away. And even better than both of us are people that have still not been born yet, that have not seen the injustice of this world. This guy is in a bad spot. And he continues in verse 4. Then I saw all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. He says this. I see brokenness in this world. I see injustice in this world. And in the midst of all of that, everybody that I come across just wants to be the center of their own universe. As if it can't get any worse, everybody is in the middle of this brokenness, and to try and make sense of it all, they just want to be the center of their own universe. They want the world to revolve around them. They want to be the center of their universe. And I go, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I am with you on that. I'm following you, Solomon. Now, don't judge me, but one of the, the shows that I liked to watch when I was a youth pastor was this show about um, parents, very wealthy parents, who would throw these extravagant parties for their kids, tens, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, you have lost your mind. And they spend the entire episode trying to um, uh, you know, make everything about them. They just want to be the center of it all. And then it always made me laugh because at the end of the episode, either right before the party or right after the party, they would say, I sure hope everybody has a good time. And I want to go, I wish you had thought about them before you ever started planning this thing because it's all about you. And while that's an ex extravagant or, uh, or, or far-fetched example, aren't we all there at times? I mean, aren't we all there? Oh, don't we want to be the center of our own universe at times? And Paul, I mean, excuse me, Solomon, sees this. And he says, how in the world do we cope with it? I mean, how in the world do we cope with this? I mean, when we see this brokenness, when we see everybody wanting to be the, the center of their own universe, how do you deal with it? And he uh, acknowledges that he observes two ways that people try to cope with this brokenness and self-centeredness. He gives two ways, and he tells us in the next verse. He says this. Number one, the first way that people try to deal with brokenness and self-centeredness in their world is this. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. The first thing that he says is this. People just look around and they decide that life has no meaning. There must be no God. There's nothing after this. Life has no meaning, so I'm just not going to worry about it. I see this brokenness, but I'm not going to worry about it because life ultimately has no meaning at all. That's the first way that people deal with the brokenness of this world. 
The second way is the primary way, I think. And here's what it says in verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes never are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. The second way Solomon observes that people deal with the brokenness of this world is that they put on blinders and they become workaholics. Or they put on blinders and they pursue a hobby with all of their might. And so Solomon says, the wisest man that has ever walked this earth says, I look around and I see great injustice and brokenness. I see people who just want to be the center of their own universe. And when people realize it, they deal with it in one of two ways. They either decide that life has no meaning, and so let's just party it up until we die. Or they put on blinders and they become workaholics. They pretend like injustice doesn't exist. They pursue a hobby with all of their might, and they don't worry about what's going on beyond their own reality. And he says there must be another way. There's got to be another way to deal with this injustice and self-centeredness. And so he offers a way to cope, a biblical way to cope, to deal with brokenness. And he gives it to us in the next verse. He says this in verse 9. And if you're a church person, you've read this before. It says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. He says this. There is brokenness. There is self-centeredness in this world. And the biblical Christ-centered way to deal with that. Is that we need each other. The only way to cope with brokenness. Is to have some people come alongside Walk shoulder to shoulder with you in the midst of it. To divide out the weight of the brokenness. To divide out the weight of the injustice. And allow people, people who care about you, to help carry the load. We need each other. About six years ago, just over six years ago, we moved here. From Austin, Texas. And our our plan was that I would move up here, Mary Jo would sell the house, and then she would move up here. Well, um, it became apparent pretty fast that the house was not going to sell as fast as we were hoping. So we left the furniture, moved up here, living in a basement. After wearing out our welcome big time, <laughs> we decided we probably should go get our furniture, rent a house here, and rent out the house in Austin. So it was August, and I headed down with a few people, there were about six of us, headed down to Austin to move all of our furniture. I don't know if you've ever been in Austin, Texas in August, but it's about 250 degrees, and it feels like it. I mean, it is hot. 
And so there's about six of us. We jump in our car. We head down to Austin. One of those, uh, one of the guys that went is Kelly Melton. He's in here this morning. This morning, you can ask him. I am not exaggerating. It was hot, and we we hired two men in a truck to come and help us uh, move uh, all of our stuff out. Well, they were smarter than us. They got everything into a truck, and they left the heaviest stuff behind. And they hit the road. They were out. One of those things was a TV that we owned. It was about 300, 335 pounds. And Kelly and I grabbed it upstairs, came down the stairs, went out through the front yard, and realized we didn't have a place on the truck for it. They didn't leave us a place. So we carried this 350-pound TV in 250-degree weather to the backyard. And we tried to put it in the truck there. There's no space. We realized the best place is out in the front yard. So we lift it up again, and we carry it to the front of the house again. It was miserable. But it was the most fun, miserable trip I've ever had. Here's why. Because I needed people, and they were there. I stepped up, and the weight of my move was divided across six different people. When the weight of this world falls on you, when tragedy strikes, are there people in your life who are standing shoulder to shoulder with you that you can divide the load with? He goes on. Verse 10. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Have you ever seen somebody fall? Not literally, but have you ever seen somebody fall financially? Have you ever seen somebody fall relationally and there was nobody there to pick them up? Solomon says, there's coming a day and you're going to fall. And pity the man, woe to the man who has nobody standing shoulder to shoulder with him to help. Goes on. Verse 11 again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And basically, what Solomon's saying is winter is coming in your life. And if there is nobody in your life standing shoulder to shoulder with you to help keep you warm, you're the most to be pitied. Winter is coming. If it did not show up in 2015, it may in 2016. And if it doesn't in 2016, it may in 2017. I don't know when, but there is coming a day when winter arrives at your front door, at your doorstep, and pity you if you do not already have people who are standing by your side to help keep you warm, according to the wisest man who has ever lived. He closes that out in verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easy, easily or quickly broken. And basically he says, there's safety in numbers. We regularly talk about being in a home church around here. <clears throat> and that's because you are the most to be pitied. When difficulty arrives and there is nobody to share the load with. 
I, 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 every once in a while, I'll be at a gas station or something, and somebody will say, hey, Scott, I visited Wellspring. And my, I usually say thank you, but what I really want to say is please don't judge our church based on my preaching in Sunday morning in Rose. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that, that is a woeful, woeful way to judge our church. What I really want to say to them is I, I beg you to find a home group and to, and to, to, to do life with them in service. To pour your life into that group along with other people because there is going to be a difficult day. And if you're in one of those groups, I've seen it time and time and time again. This year alone, I have seen uh, meals brought by a home group. I have seen thousands of dollars that never, uh, that, that tax exemption never, uh, they would never get tax exemption from. Given. I've seen dogs babysat. I've seen uh, rooms opened up whenever there was not a room available for people to stay in. I can tell you story after story after story of people who were helped by their home group when winter showed up, when the weight of this wet world fell on their shoulder. Pity the man who does not have somebody standing shoulder to shoulder with him when winter arrives and will arrive at some point. So I ask the question, why do so few people take us up on this? I mean, we, we, I mean, this horse is dead, and I am still beating it. <laughs> and I will continue to beat this dead horse. <laughs> so it's not that we don't talk about it. But why do so few people take us up on it? And I listed three of my excuses so far. Number one, because I'm self-centered. I am. Ask my wife. <laughs> I don't want to be vulnerable with people. I don't want people to see me for who I really am because they may think less of me. I'm self-centered. And so that's why I, I find it so difficult to enter into these kind of relationships where people know me for who I really am and I, and I know them for who they really are. I know and I am known. I'm self-centered. Number two. I claim that I'm busy. And just FYI, every person in my home group is probably busier than I am. And they still find time to make me. Number three, and I think this is probably the most prominent one. I've been hurt before and I don't want to be hurt again. I've been hurt before and I don't want it to happen again. And here's the thing, I'd love to be able to sit up here and promise you that that won't happen, but I can't. I say stupid things, and other people do too. And it hurts sometimes. And I, that's not my desire, it's not my, my wish, but I do. Because I'm a broken human being. And you're going to be in groups with broken human beings who say things that they wish they wouldn't say sometimes. Or sometimes they do, they're just not smart enough to realize it. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you're going to be in groups with broken human beings, and they're going to hurt you sometimes. But let me just tell you this. I can, I can promise you this. The risk is worth the reward. It's worth it. Ask anybody who's in those relationships, who has people who know them for who they really are, every one of them have probably been hurt at some point along the way. And they would still sit up here if they had the microphone and say, the risk is worth it. 
Because winter is coming. Injustice in this world is coming. And you need somebody standing shoulder to shoulder with you to divide the way when it falls. This morning, I don't know your story. I don't know what 15, 2015 held for you or what 2016 will hold. But this, I can promise you, we need each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I know there are people here this morning who with much more credibility than me can say, yes, you need somebody when tragedy strikes. And Father, I don't, I don't really care where you find it. If you already have people in your life like that, I pray you would continue to dig deep into those relationships with Christ at the center. But Lord, I know in our culture there are many who don't have it. And so, Father, that's why we continue to offer groups to people. I pray nobody would leave here today without a desire for those kind of relationships. In Jesus' name.